Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24 and Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. For this show, as usual, I listen to about 20 hours of international broadcast. 80% of the reports were about the war between Israel and Palestine. Most of it was similar to what American media was reporting. As one of my goals is to present alternate views, I selected a daily press review from France, and three interviews about the new war. One with a Palestinian who is an official observer at the United Nations, one a spokesperson for the Norwegian Refugee Council, and one is a communications officer from the International Committee of the Red Cross who is in Gaza. We will begin with France 24. A series of press reviews from Thursday morning, starting with the Israeli press, other Middle Eastern papers, papers covering the controversy that claims that Israel was warned of the invasion several days in advance, and the repercussions from a letter penned by Harvard student groups which blamed Israel for the violence on Saturday. France also interviewed Majed Baima the Deputy Permanent Observer for the State of Palestine at the United Nations, France 24. Well, I'm joined now on set by Diptika Laurent to take us through what the papers are saying about the conflict in Israel and Gaza. Uh, Dipti, let's start uh, with the Israeli press, how they're uh, dealing with Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, creation of a unity wartime cabinet. Well, the Jerusalem Post today is looking at the formation of this emergency wartime cabinet uh, formed on Wednesday between Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the opposition leader, national unity leader, uh, Benny Gantz. A deal that was five days in the making, the Jerusalem Post says, and comes amidst an imminent Israeli ground invasion. Uh, the Post really welcoming uh, this unity government, but criticizing the fact that it took five days to be formed, slamming, uh, the paper really slamming Netanyahu who for uh, worrying that such an alliance could affect him politically, affect his leadership, rather than focusing on the war at hand. Uh, from uh, this uh, Israeli daily, uh, the Yadiot Aharonot, it's more of a patriotic message on, uh, on, the, front on the front of their website uh, this Thursday. This is actually the most widely distributed newspaper in Israel, uh, the publication citing Netanyahu's comments that the fate of the country is at stake. Also citing, you see here, Benny Gantz, who said, we are all together. So very much a, a message of defiance, of patriotism from this publication. Now, from the Middle Eastern dailies, there's lots of focus uh, on uh, uh, Gaza. Uh, notably, uh, this is from uh, the National, which is an Emirati paper, the 
uh, MRIT paper uh, reporting that Gaza falls into darkness on its front page. The paper also there headlining on uh, the sole electrical plant, electric plant in Gaza, running out of fuel. Uh, Al-Quds Al-Arabi, uh, this is a another, uh, this is an Arab language uh, publication based in London, uh, fairly close to Qatar as well. The headline here really deploring what it calls a series of massacres by Israel in Gaza amidst international silence. The paper noting that the resistance, that's how it calls the Hamas group, it doesn't call them terrorists, it calls them the resistance, have retaliated by attacking Haifa and Tel Aviv, the cities uh, in Israel. The paper there, as you see, uh, publishing uh, rather graphic images of uh, child victims from uh, the destruction in Gaza. Now, uh, Lorient Le Jour, that's a Lebanese uh, daily uh, in French, also focusing on this on its front page, it says, from one crime to another, really summing up how it feels about the destruction in Gaza. And in this opinion piece here on its front page, uh, the paper uh, writes that the situation is not a spiral now, it's, it's, it's a vortex. Um, the paper also wondering, how does one objectively view this, quote, new war between old enemies? Who is right? Who is wrong? Who has a moral high ground? These are questions that uh, the international community is grappling with. And also, the paper says, how does one approach such a war where, I quote, violence is the only definitive form of communication between both sides? Dipti, a lot of focus meanwhile on reports that uh, Israel may have been warned about Hamas's intentions by Egypt days before uh, the massacres of Saturday morning. It has been the focus of quite a few publications. Let's uh, show you this one from Foreign Policy, uh, which says what Israeli intelligence got wrong about Hamas. It's actually quite an interesting article that uh, uh, lo looks at how Israel's, quote, much vaunted intelligence services failed to anticipate the Hamas attack. It also might have been due to what was a, a fairly toxic relationship between uh, the government and intelligence services in Israel. It has also, uh, this article also drawing comparisons to similar intelligence failures back in 1973 uh, at the time of the Israel-Egypt uh, war. 50 years ago, the then Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir received explicit warnings from Jordan about uh, the intents of Egyptian leaders. But these warnings were discounted because, I quote, it did not fit the prevailing concept that Egypt would not attack until it could have, uh, until it could rival Israel's air power. So that was at the time back in 1973. Uh, any prior intelligence about Saturday's horrific Hamas attack uh, may have also been discounted by the present-day Israeli government because it too also discounted, um, uh, it, it, because it too was sort of contrary to any dominant belief by Israelis that Hamas was uh, actually going to move uh, to, um, to to launch this attack. The, the overwhelming belief was that Hamas was busy governing Gaza. In other words, uh, the, the article says it was just too unfathomable that Hamas would uh, launch such a brazen attack. And that's why um, possibly intelligence or any warnings were uh, discounted prior. And Dipti, finally from you, and we spoke about this uh, a few days ago, um, earlier this week, uh, Harvard student groups penned a letter um, essentially blaming Israel for Saturday's uh, violence on Israeli soil. Um, that uh, letter now facing growing backlash, Dipti. 
That's why this controversy just keeps continuing. Earlier this week, around 30 student groups penned that letter, as you said, blaming Israel essentially for uh, the violence on Saturday. Harvard's president at the time also came under fire for not really um, responding or uh, condemning the letter. Now, according to the Harvard Crimson um, publication, the controversy sort of took on new heights on Wednesday when a billboard truck drove through campus uh, doxing, in other words, publicly exposing private details about students affiliated, reportedly affiliated to the groups that had signed this letter. Axios reports that billionaire Bill Ackman, a uh, hedge fund manager, has uh, said he'd been approached by several CEOs asking for the identities of these students affiliated with this letter, reportedly, uh, in order to name and shame them and eventually blacklist them by these CEOs. So this controversy just uh, keeps on taking uh, new levels. As I mentioned earlier, we were going to get the Palestinian perspective on the program as well. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Majid Bema. He's the Deputy Permanent Observer at the State of Palestine at the United Nations in New York. He joins us live from there. Good afternoon to you, sir. Thanks for making the time. So what we're seeing now is the targeting of Palestinian civilians. We're seeing indiscriminate attacks. 1,100 Palestinians have been killed, including 250 children. Entire families are being killed in their sleep. I don't think there is anything in the world that can justify these actions. That must stop. The international community cannot allow uh, the, a right to massacre to, to, to take place before our very eyes. And humanitarian aid cannot be blocked in the manner we're seeing now with uh, Palestinians not having electricity, fuel, food. That uh, requires a strong international response. Our Israeli guest who was on just a few moments ago, he said what the Israeli army is doing in Gaza is not collective punishment. It is a legitimate Israeli self-defense after what happened over the weekend. Can I just briefly get your thoughts on that before we move on to what needs to happen now? You know, the uh, Israelis have been blockading uh, Gaza for 17 years. They've had seven assaults on Gaza where they bombed and killed thousands of Palestinians. And they always explained it was to uh, destroy Hamas military capabilities. It was to ensure security. Did that work? Can they now come and say that killing more Palestinians is the answer, that that will provide any path forward for anyone, that that will make anyone more safe, Palestinians, Israelis? That's not true. I had a European colleague who was telling me, you know, emotions in Europe are strong. We cannot condemn uh, what uh, the Israelis are doing because that could be understood as condoning what has happened uh, by Hamas. We cannot uh, tell them to stop because of all the Israelis that were killed. Imagine if the same logic was reversed. If, you to if we told you because of all the Palestinians that were killed, then we need to kill uh, the Israelis. Imagine if I came and said that the Israelis were human animals like the Israeli generals and the Israeli uh, war uh, minister has uh, said that we, they said we will uh, show them hell. And these are not words. This is the reality of Palestinians in the occupied territory and Palestinians in Gaza in particular. And it has been for a while. So you cannot say in the same breath, nothing justifies killing Israelis and then go on to justify the killing of Palestinians. I need people need to, to tell us which Israel they are acting in solidarity with. They should have expressed solidarity with the families of people killed. The, the Palestinians also have members of their families killed. Is it the extreme right-wing government? Is it these policies of occupying, of colonizing, of annexing, of denying the rights of an entire nation, of oppressing it? You cannot say 
you know, we need to give them the space they need because these have been their policies before. It's not, it's not the first time they're killing thousands of Palestinians. We need a peaceful path forward. We need to uphold international law. We cannot allow for double standards. There is nothing, nothing in international law that justifies targeting of civilians and indiscriminate attacks. We need to protect all civilians. I gave you the example of people refusing to condemn what Israel was doing, saying emotions are high in Europe. That's what they're telling us. How do you think emotions are in Palestine? You know how hard it is to come here with thousands of Palestinians being killed, with the situation we are in, with a besieged Gaza, and say we want peace? The Israeli officials, when Israelis were killed, what did they come to your news to say? They came to justify killings. We didn't come to justify. We came to say we don't justify killing of civilians. Exactly mm -hmm. the opposite. But you cannot justify the killing of Palestinian civilians. But they are saying they cannot condemn what Israel is doing because that would be condoning uh, what Hamas has done. And now you, it would appear if I condemn what Hamas is doing, it would be condoning what Israel has done for mm. 75 years or what Israel is doing today. If that is the rationale we are operating under, that is not our role. But the fact that we are able to come here and still speak of international law and peace while Israel is saying we are human animals and killing and butchering. These are, this is the Israeli government. You say we cannot equate Hamas and Israel. And some people will tell you we cannot equate occupying power and occupied people. You will say, but they have reasons to kill you. And some people will tell you, oh, well, then the Palestinians have reasons to kill them. We say this logic is catastrophic for everyone, for the Palestinian people, for the Israeli people, for the region, for the future of the uh, international law-based order. I think we are being as reasonable, as human as we can, while our people are being butchered in Gaza and while people are also being killed in the West Bank. We have over 200 Palestinians who have been killed in the West Bank in the last few months. Mm. So I, I, I hope you hold us to the same standards. Uh, that you hold the Israeli officials. If I said anything close to what the Israeli official would said, we would have been expelled. We would have been boycotted. We would have been sanctioned. Don't allow them to get away with murder. That is not the path for anyone. This led us here. This kind of logic, ending the occupation, finding a path to peace and to coexist side by side, live and let live. But that requires action to stop the bloodshed and to stop these policies that are unlawful and that are destructive for the future of our nation and of all nations. All these messages to Israel in the last few days have prepared the ground, were interpreted by Israel as license to kill, to, to do whatever it sees fit. People have to start walking them back now or they will be complicit with the reality that is now prevailing in Gaza. It, it has been heartbreaking for us these last few days to see, again, the, the, the racism in the response, the lack of humanity and solidarity towards the Palestinian people, the, the lack of uh, ability to recognize all the conditions that have led us to this terrible place today and address them by saying, we will deal with that later. And what about the people being killed now? We could have saved lives. We have an obligation to save lives. You cannot say uh, you, we need to give this uh, more time. This is more blindness. This is more madness. And again, everybody will pay the price of it. But starting now by the Palestinians who are still being killed as we speak. What does it mean, unconditional support? Nobody deserves unconditional support. Nobody deserves support when they are acting the way Israel is acting now. 
again, you can distinguish between the families and you can distinguish between a government that is uh, having a destructive policy. It is, again, it's a government. It's somebody you have relations with. It's somebody that you consider among your closest ally. I wouldn't be proud to call Israel an ally, given how Israel has been acting, not for the last few days, but for the last few decades, 75 years of denying the, the rights of an entire nation. So for people, they want to say history started on the 7th of October. Don't say that to those who have been under blockade for 75 years or under occupation for 55 years, who have been dispossessed for 75 years. They, we cannot. You can try and say that in, in, in your halls, but you cannot tell Palestinians that the reality they've lived under is irrelevant. But again, our purpose is, of course, the rights of our people and their freedom, but it's, it is peace for all. Everybody benefits from peace. And the idea that Netanyahu promoted there could be peace without the Palestinians. We can continue killing them, colonizing them, and we will enjoy life and tranquility and peace. This madness, we told the world, act, act. He is taking us into a terrible, terrible path, down a terrible path that needs to be stopped. And people reacted once Israelis were killed, once again. Now they need to act while Palestinians are being uh, murdered. Majid Bamiya, the Deputy Permanent Observer of the State of Palestine at the United Nations in New York. Thank you. Those press reviews and interview were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. They are also available at most podcast sites. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or would like to support this listener-funded program, contact information is available at outfarpress.com or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Your support helps the weekly production of this show, which is distributed without cost to more than 100 radio stations across the globe. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The United Nations says that 340,000 people have been displaced in Gaza with fears of a humanitarian crisis growing. Food, water, and medical supplies are not reaching the enclave. An interview with Shana Lowe, a spokesperson for the Norwegian Refugee Council, who is in Jerusalem coordinating aid workers in Gaza. Then a report from Hisham Mana, communications officer for the International Committee of the Red Cross, who is trying to coordinate aid in the Gaza Strip. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The United Nations says nearly 340,000 people have been forced to leave their homes in Gaza with fears of a humanitarian crisis growing as Israel continues to launch airstrikes against the territory. Israel says it's hitting targets linked to the terrorist group Hamas in retaliation for its unprecedented attacks over the weekend that killed at least 1,200 people in Israel. Meanwhile, Palestinian authorities in Gaza say more than 8,000 people have been killed there from Israeli strikes. Gaza is also lacking electricity after its only power station ran out of fuel. People are using generators to power their homes, but Israel's blockade means they too will soon run dry. Food, water and medical supplies are also running low.
In an effort to aid civilians trapped in Gaza, the Palestinian representative for the UN pleaded for humanitarian assistance. We will continue the uh, contact with everyone, including the Security Council, so that the international community to shoulder its responsibility in stepping to the, to the picture and in putting uh, an end to this onslaught against our people, but more importantly, that would require, of course, sending humanitarian assistance to the uh, 2 million.3 uh, of Palestinians who live in the Gaza Strip. Uh, it, there has to be uh, a humanitarian intervention in order to, uh, to avoid uh, a looming catastrophe. And for more on this, we're going to go over now to Jerusalem and talk to Shaina Lowe, who is spokesperson with the Norwegian Refugee Council. Your organization is on the ground in Gaza. What are you hearing from there? spoke about 30 minutes ago to my colleague in Gaza. Uh, he said that last night was an extremely difficult night. The bombardments were continuing uh, all throughout the night. He told me of a number of airstrikes that resulted in mass civilian casualties. Last night, the house behind where my colleague was staying was hit with an airstrike. Thankfully, he and his, my colleague and his family were unharmed. But because of the blackout, they were unable to even clean up safely the glass that had shattered from their windows um, because they just could not see in the dark. This morning, he described to me challenges in just getting around Gaza, shortages in bread, uh, being able to be able to, to navigate the streets, mm. which are filled with rubble and difficult to, to navigate. The situation in Gaza is truly unbelievable in right. terms of the, the humanitarian crisis we're facing. Yeah, China, and part of the reason this is so acute is because it's it's apparent that no aid is getting into, into Gaza because of uh, the blockade. We are fearing an even larger humanitarian catastrophe than the one that we're already witnessing right now. The supplies in Gaza are very limited. There already was a siege on Gaza even prior to this total siege that was imposed over the last week. And so what we are hearing from our colleagues is that supplies are dwindling, food prices are already on the rise, bakeries are saying that they have less than a week's supply of ingredients. I mean, this is this is literally going to be 2.3 million Palestinians uh, trapped inside of Gaza with no relief in sight unless there's an opening of humanitarian corridors for the entry of, of aid and other provisions. Shaina, I want us to talk specifically here about the aid that's needed um, in respect to the emergency response, helping the wounded uh, as, as the airstrikes and the bombardment on the territory uh, continues. What needs to happen to be able to save civilian lives? First and foremost, there needs to be electricity restored to the Gaza Strip. Hospitals are operating on emergency generators and will soon run out of supplies and fuel for those. We need medical equipment, medical supplies. Yesterday, there was the announcement that all of the hospital beds in Gaza were full. Um, I mean, this is a, a humanitarian catastrophe that is happening before us, and, and there needs to be assistance both in terms of restoration of water, electricity, fuel, food, the access to medicine and other uh, medical supplies. They all need to be let into Gaza immediately. All right. Shaina Lowe is with the Norwegian Refugee Council. She's talking to us from Jerusalem.
And now we are going to go to Gaza, where Hisham Mana is standing by for us. He's a communications officer with the International Committee of the Red Cross. Joins me by phone. Uh, it's very difficult right now to establish uh, good connections. Thank you so much uh, for coming on to, to the program. If you can hear me, I'd like to start by just asking you what you're seeing on the ground there where you are. What we're seeing is absolutely unprecedented. We are witnessing a, a catastrophe of hope, a crisis and the humanitarian situation, a complete shutdown of the sole uh, power plant of the Gaza Strip that feeds uh, households or what's left of the neighborhoods uh, uh, and the infrastructure feeding them, but also hospitals across all the Gaza Strip are impacted. The water and wastewater sector is paralyzed at the moment. In the vast areas of the Gaza Strip, this would lead, if the situation continues like this, to an environmental crisis because sewage is pumped into or mixing with the with the water, uh, you know, infrastructure. So this is also an imminent uh, risk that we are alarmed by. But focusing on the medical situation in Gaza Strip, which is uh, catastrophic, the Ministry of Health has called for immediate entry of uh, medical supplies, equipment, and fuel to run, keep the hospitals mm. running. And there are hundreds of seriously injured patients uh, who are connected to oxygen supply. There are newborns who are living inside incubators. And one of the hospitals that include that incubators got damaged, and that section in specific was partially damaged. Mm. Uh, we have witnessed targeting of medical staff. Yesterday, four uh, of the uh, emergency medical team of the Palestine Red Crescent Society uh, were immediately like, directly targeted and they were killed while conducting their uh, humanitarian mission rescuing injuries. The hospitals now are suffering from severe shortage in the medical supplies. What is your assessment about how long civilians can hold on without help? There are still families under the rubble. Some of their peers like lost hope of, of, of having them back. Some are still the unreachable by the civil defense because the lack of equipment and the lack of safe access to these locations. So that's one side of the story. The civilians in Gaza, like entire neighborhoods, were asked to evacuate without clear safe passages. And some of, like hundreds of families had to relocate for two or three times in one day seeking safe haven. There's a crisis of hope and there's absolute lack of sense of uh, safety and security, and now families fear for their children if they are going to witness the next morning. What would be your message uh, to the international community from the Red Cross operating in Gaza right now? There has to be a full respect of the international humanitarian law that calls for the protection of civilians, civilian properties, medical missions, also infrastructure that supports and vital to continue feeding people with water, energy, uh, and medical health care. This is the utmost concern of the ICRC, and this is what we have been calling for, and this is what we have been trying to, you know, to force with both sides of the conflict. Civilians should not pay the heavy cost every single time and every round of escalation. They should be not paying uh, you know, the price for uh, the failure of a political solution to end this escalation that has been lasting for decades. We have been existing here since 1967 in Israel and the occupied territories. We have never witnessed that large scale of devastation in uh, a matter of a few days. So uh, what we are asking for is uh, full restraint of violence to protect civilians, protect civilian properties, to allow the medical missions to reach safely to those who are injured and, most importantly now, also to allow the entry of 
the humanitarian aid, mm. the required food, medication to save uh, 2.3 million people. That is the voice of Hisham Mane. He is communications officer with the International Committee of the Red Cross talking to us from Gaza. Those interviews were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. Also available at most podcast sites, along with the shortwave report. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, Find information for online support. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 26 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. While I am recuperating from spinal surgery, I am staying in a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.